0: Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how the table was an essential part of Jesus' ministry and how it is a central fixture in the kingdom of God. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life.
1: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Wonderful, good, great. It's summertime and people are coming, going a lot. Uh, Hopefully you guys had a good 4th of July. Good to be here with you today. And I want you to do something with me if you would. I want you to imagine your dining room table or if you have a kitchen table or whatever it is, imagine the place where you eat most of your meals in your home. And for me, it's an oak table. It's a rectangle table with square legs. And it's got the leaves in the middle that kind of, you open it up, it's like a transformer and it comes out and we can get about 10 people around our table. And I want you to think about your table. Maybe um, it's, it's an island in your kitchen or something, but imagine the place where you sit down and have meals. And I want you to think about all the things that have happened around that table, all the significant times that you've shared with family and friends. And all the stories that have been shared day after day, week after week, year after year. When you start to think about all the memories that have been shared around those tables, it's kind of an important thing. It's the place where, and and again, this looks different for everybody depending on what stage of life you're in. You might have a high chair pulled up to that table and food's flying everywhere and it's a huge mess. Or you might have kids that are a little bit older. Or maybe your kids are gone. They've, They've left the nest. But I know for us, it's the place where we found out about what's important to our kids, what's going on in their day, what's going on at school, how, you know, talking about sports and hobbies, and maybe you found out about a surprise boyfriend or girlfriend, and usually that comes through a sibling, like they're ratting out their brother or sister. But you find out those things, and you get to know people, and you build relationships. And around the table is also a place where We pray. And a place where we talk about Jesus and our faith has grown. And so the table's an actually, uh, it's a very significant part of our lives. And if you're anything like us, it's easy to get busy and to be like, you know, just going all the time and we're grabbing food from the drive through and we're just kind of shoveling it in and and you you miss some of those moments around the table. But the table's important and it's something that we don't want to minimize. Um, So we've been in this series called Kingdom Life. And we've been talking about life in the kingdom. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God, or he would say the kingdom of heaven. He'd use those terms interchangeably. And we've been lo- learning about what is it like to live in the kingdom of God? Because he said it's here now, it's at hand, but it's also coming in the future. And so Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom, and we've been describing the kingdom. Last week we talked about forgiveness forgiveness. Today we're talking about a theology of the table. You may be thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Theology of a table. Well, theology is the study of God, and Jesus himself, who is God, used the table to do ministry. So that's what we're talking about. How did Jesus use the table to do ministry? Some of you are sitting there thinking, are you telling me that we can do ministry with food around a table? Yes, yes. Finally, right? Because <laughs> we love to eat. Many of us, uh, well, we all need to eat, but some of us really enjoy that. And so, um, if, if you are more interested in digging deeper into this subject, there's a book by Tim Chester called A Meal with Jesus, which is great. I've used that a little bit in reference for this message today, but it's called A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. Great book. He does a deep dive into the book of Luke. So, that's where we're going to be today. If you have a Bible and you want to go to Luke chapter 5, we're going to read a story. Jesus hanging out with a guy named Levi. So Luke 5, starting in verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And so we see Jesus' example here. He's hanging out with a guy named Levi. Jesus said, I didn't come to, to call the righteous. I came to find people who knew they had a need for me. And so who does he find? He finds Levi. Levi's a tax collector. And I don't know if we can fully appreciate this in our culture today, but tax collectors were not well-loved people in their culture. People didn't like the tax collector. I mean, anyone here like paying taxes right now? Imagine a person, you had to go give them your money to their face, like at least now it's like the IRS, it's distant. But this was a personal thing, like you took my money. And sometimes the tax collector would abuse their power and they would rip people off. And so they didn't have a lot of friends except for other tax collectors. And so Jesus says to Levi, hey, come and follow me. So Levi follows Jesus and Levi throws a feast. And we see from this text that Levi's friends were mostly tax collectors. A few other people were there. We don't know who they were. And Jesus was there. Jesus went to the feast. See, for Jesus, when he went to a feast, and like when he went to Levi's house, a meal wasn't just a meal, it was an opportunity for ministry. So he didn't just go there to eat and get fed, but he went to sit down at a table across from Levi to hear his story, to get to know him, to to let Levi know that he was seen and heard. So Jesus made space in his life, to connect with people across the table. Now, if I were to say, the Son of Man came to, and we were going to extend that statement out, we could say things like, the Son of Man came to introduce the kingdom of God. The Son of Man came to die on the cross for our sins. The Son of Man came to Preach the good news. I mean, we can fill in lots of things there, can't we? Statements of what Jesus did. But if we look at Scripture and the Gospels, there's actually three things that we see. The first one comes from Mark 10. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. The second one, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And then the third one, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And so those first two references, they speak to the purpose. Like, why did Jesus come? Well, he came to serve, right? He came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. But the third one is how he did it. It's a method statement. Jesus came eating and drinking. That's interesting, isn't it? So I think there's significance to this. Jesus, when he participated in a meal... He wasn't just there, he wasn't just consuming food, but he was actually introducing a new way of living, a new kingdom, a new outlook. He made the kingdom tangible. He was bringing it to the table with him as he sat down with people. See, meals are more than food, they're social occasions. They represent friendship and community and welcome. We don't want to reduce the mission of God to just meals. I mean, that's that's not gonna cut it. But I do think it's an integral part of the way Jesus connected with people, built relationships, built trust, and and we get to live this way. We get to share meals with others and introduce the gospel across the table. Peter Lethart says it this way, for Jesus, feast was not just a metaphor for the kingdom. As Jesus announced the feast of the kingdom, he also brought it into reality through his own feasting. Unlike many theologians, he did not come preaching an ideology, promoting ideas, or teaching moral maxims. He came teaching about the feast of the kingdom, and he came feasting in the kingdom. Jesus did not go around merely talking about eating and drinking. He went around eating and drinking a lot. Jesus did. He spent a lot of time. And so I want to give you just a brief survey over the book of Luke of just a few examples of where Jesus Spent time around the table. So Luke 5, we just talked about that, right? Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. This is where um, Mary was weeping and washing his feet, Jesus' feet. And Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. That was a pretty awesome miracle. Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Martha and Mary. Martha, 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 right? She was too busy, Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he tells the people, invite the poor to your meals, not just your friends. Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, that wee little man? I don't know why I said that in Irish accent, but. (laughs) Um, Luke 22, we have the account of the Last Supper, Jesus with his disciples. And then Luke 24, the the resurrected Christ eats a meal with uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and then he has fish with his friends on the beach. So Jesus spent a lot of time around tables. Jesus ate a lot and he spent time building relationships with people. See, often we think we want to reach people with the gospel. That's a desire if you're a follower of Jesus. We want to share the good news. But oftentimes we think, well, it has to be inviting someone to a a worship service like this, or it has to be inviting them to an event, or a VBS, or some kind of planned outreach where we present the gospel at the end. And we get into that mindset of like, well, we just got to get them there, and we got to get them to the finish line as quick as possible. And maybe there's somebody we barely know, but we're like, hey, let me tell you about your, uh, your soul and your need for Jesus. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We haven't established any kind of friendship, any kind of relationship. And it doesn't often go well. I mean, sometimes people are open and they're ready to receive the gospel right there because God's been working. My experience has been most of the time they're not ready for that on the first date, if you will. Um, when I was first in ministry, I was living in Minot at the time and I was worship pastor at a church there, and the youth group decided, decided to bring in the power team. Anybody know like the strength team, power team, seen that before? Get these huge guys, they're just jacked, you know, and they're, they're breaking baseball bats and they're rolling up the frying pans and uh, just doing all these feats of strength, impressing everybody, and then at the end, they present the gospel. And so I had this neighbor next door to us, and Big guy liked to hit the gym, and uh, military guy said, hey, you should come to this thing. You'd you probably like it. Probably like to see some phone books being torn in half. And so he came. He attended the event, and at the end, they did kind of an invitation of like, come forward if you want to receive Jesus. And to my surprise, my neighbor got up, and he came forward, and I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. Problem was, the next day, I wanted to talk to him about it. And I went over there and it was super awkward and like we had no relationship, no friendship and it was really hard to follow up with him or to have any kind of discipling connection with him because we just didn't really know each other. Unfortunately, he moved away not long after that because he was in the military and he was gone and it just kind of dawned on me, I'm like, how many people have I tried to just quickly share the gospel with or try to get them over, you know, get them saved so to speak but not have any kind of relationship there. And the more I look at Scripture, and the more I look at how Jesus did life in ministry, there's relationship. He's built some equity with people. He shares the table. And I thought, what if it's a lot simpler than we've made it? Maybe we don't need to focus so much on events. We need to focus on people, relationships, and love, and getting to know their story, and... Man, I think that's when the kingdom starts to expand, it starts to move when we build relationships with other people. And so again, I think the the life, living life in the kingdom and the life on mission is maybe a lot simpler than we've made it. And it's less about programs, and more about people. I think Jesus maybe knew what he was doing. So let's talk about the guest list, Jesus' guest list. One of the things I love about how Jesus did ministry is he ticked off the Pharisees all the time. He did it over and over. It was like, you know, it just came naturally to him. And part of the reason is because the Pharisees loved to be judgmental. They loved to be the the moral police. They would check everybody out. Well, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. Jesus, you can't have those people at your party. You can't sit down at a table with tax collectors and sinners. But that's what the Pharisees did. They were experts at outward appearances, weren't they? And Jesus challenged him, said, you're, you're whitewashed tombs. You're dead on the inside. It's not all about the outside of the dish. Clean the inside, Jesus said. It's about the heart. So look at what it says in, in Luke 5, 30 through 32. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples saying, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So Jesus didn't come to hang out with the the scribes and the Pharisees. He's like, you guys don't need me. You're self-righteous. So I'm going to go over and hang out with these people who actually have need and actually want to spend time with me. See, the Pharisees and scribes were focused on personal holiness above all else. That's what they were worried about. Outward appearances. How are we doing? How are people perceiving us? Do we have it all together? And it's easy for us to read about the Pharisees and to just kind of beat up on them, isn't it? All those Pharisees, what a bunch of religious jerks, man, I can't believe those Pharisees. But I wonder, how many of us get caught up in our own personal holiness? How am I doing today? If I feel like I've done the right things, I start to feel pretty good about myself and I can look down on others who maybe aren't doing so good. I think if we're honest, we probably all have a little bit of Pharisee deep down somewhere in us that we want to compare. We want to have our own righteousness and instead of resting in the grace of Jesus, we want to have our own personal holiness and say, well, I didn't mess up today. I'm not sinning over here. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing those things that those people are. And we get self-righteous. That's what the Pharisees did. Brennan Manning, there's a quote I read in a book of his many years ago, and it stuck with me. And I I think the heart posture is more, like he said, beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. That's the heart of humility. That's the heart of grace. It says, man, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out, but I know Jesus. I have Him, and that's all I need. Rather than saying, well, I have it all together. I'm like a Pharisee, personal holiness. So our testimonies matter, we want, we want to represent Jesus, we don't want to just live you know, willy-nilly in and, and a mess, but I think it's a matter of allowing Him to flow through us in this life. Unfortunately, we tend to isolate, and I, I did this when I came to faith in my 20s. I had a bunch of friends, and they were just kind of the party crowd and wild and whatever, and, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, I came to faith in Jesus, and some older, more mature believers told me, well, you need to just stop hanging out with those people. You can't be around them anymore because they're gonna drag you down. And I know there's some wisdom in that. You you gotta be a little bit careful who you're hanging out with, but at the same time, these more mature believers were telling me to isolate from the very people who needed Jesus, my friends, and I lost relationships. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you know some people in your life who are older, more mature Christians who don't spend time with anybody other than People who think and act just like them. Very uncomfortable being around people who don't have life all put together or the sinner crowd. Thing is, we say we're following Jesus, we give our lives to him, but then we don't reflect what he did. Jesus hung out with the sinners, Jesus spent time with the tax collectors, the prostitutes. Matthew 11 says this The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So Jesus was misunderstood from the company that he kept. He hung around people who were eating and drinking too much, and he was kind of thrown in with them. Well, Jesus never sinned. We know that. We know that Jesus is perfect. He never sinned, but yet he was around sinful people, and he was misunderstood. And I think that's a good litmus test for us. Have we ever been misunderstood by the people that we hang around with? Man, I don't know about him. Look at who he's running with. Or look at her. I can't believe she'd hang out with them. Has anyone ever said that about us? I think that's a good check to see where we're at. But Jesus was separated from sin, but he never isolated from people. Jesus was separate from sin. He didn't sin, but he hung around sinners. He hung around people who had lots of sin. And so that's, that's just really a, a test for us. Are we, oh, and the other thing is Jesus liked to, people like to be around Jesus. You notice that? Sinners enjoyed being around Jesus, like they actually wanted to be with him. That's another good test for us. Do unbelievers like to hang out with me? Or am I grumpy and judgmental? Do I reflect the heart of a Pharisee? Or the heart of Jesus and grace? I wanna show you another instance where Jesus was not afraid to interact with a person that would be considered an outcast. So Luke 5, just go a little bit earlier, 12 through 15. Well, he was in one of the cities. There came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. He says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him And he charged him to tell no one but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And so Jesus, instead of separating from this man with leprosy, we know what leprosy is, it's a skin disease, eats your stuff, gross, and... In those days, they were unclean. We didn't touch lepers. We don't go around lepers. They'd sent them outside of the camp. Like, you guys go hang out in your little tents out there. And it's just really sad. And so they had the Levitical law that said you can't touch somebody who has leprosy or you become unclean. And then there's a whole process of cleansing to go through in order to be made clean. And so Jesus walks up to this guy and he says, you want to be made well? Yeah, I want to be made well touches him, does the unthinkable, touches somebody who's unclean. And so rather than isolating, which is what everybody did, isolate from the leper, Jesus embraces the leper, lays his hand on him, and heals him. This is such a picture of Jesus reaching out to the outcast, saying, I'm going to meet you where you are, and I'm going to heal you. I'm here to transform you. I'm here to make you whole to heal your body, to heal your soul, to forgive your sins. That's what Jesus was introducing. It's the kingdom. He said, it's here, it's at hand, and I'm the king. And so he reaches out and he touches this man. God's grace welcomes the outcast and brings transformation. The Pharisees didn't understand grace. and They didn't understand that Jesus makes all things new. He makes people a new creation. He restores what's broken. They didn't understand that. All they understood was personal holiness. I'm going to separate. I'm going to be over here. I'm going to have all my stuff together. Jesus said, no. Life in the kingdom's messy. Life in the kingdom uh, involves getting to know people and to be around people that you're probably uncomfortable with. All right. So I know I just dumped a bunch of stuff on you. We're going to pause for discussion here. Three questions. So this is a group thing. Feel free to speak up, share your answer loudly so everybody can hear. And the first one is this. Do you know any Christians who valued personal holiness above all else? Do you know any, And don't point any fingers. Don't name any names. You know. Do you know any Christians who valued their personal holiness above all else? And if you do, how did you feel spending time with them? Describe what it was like being around a person like that. Anybody? Say that a little bit louder. Boundaries? So they would set boundaries for you, like you can't be with these people, but you can be with these people. Yeah. Everything she said, she had to be better. Say that again? Everything she said you had to be better. Everything she said you had to be better, like you could never measure up.
0: Right. Like oh I forgot.
1: A lot of religion, like I'm doing more than you and you can't do enough. Yeah. It's not very enjoyable to be around somebody like that. What else? Invisible rules. Invisible rules. What do you mean by that? I did were expecting. They have this whole set of mm-hmm. side and it's like, what? I can't so do the you know, everything mm-hmm. to be this, this, this. Well, I don't even know what you're about. Yeah, invisible rules, which you don't know what the list is, so you can't ever hit the whole list. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to be around people who live out of a sense of self-righteousness or their own holiness. A lot easier to be around people who show grace, isn't it? So the second question is this. Do you have a reputation for hanging out with shady company for the purpose of showing grace, purpose of the gospel? And if you do, if anyone has a story, I'd love to hear it. Anybody have a story where, like Jesus, you were misunderstood for the people you were hanging out with? So, so that? Yeah, Teen Challenge. Yeah, that you, you're cut, a lot of people coming out of addiction, bad situations. Yeah. Yep. I can remember. Sorry, I, I got to think. I just thought of one, and this was kind of a group one. We did an outreach at the park, and we had our, our rainbow flags hung up, which were not a rainbow. It was like the, the pennants, you know, with the different multicolors, And somebody walked by and said, "Hey, they're doing a pride event over here." They're like, no, we're not. Uh, anyway, that was. What were you gonna say?
0: So I go into the prisons, and because there are people that know that I do that, I took a couple of youth to a church event, and one of the church family members went up to them and said, "Oh, your mom knows Renee. So was she in prison?"
1: Like, mm.
0: like crushed their spirit, and
1: it was yeah. like, so. So because you do prison ministry, that bad, right? They just, but they assumed
0: because of what. I do and who I minister to that everybody that I associate with is a prisoner
1: a it's it's guilt by association yeah <laughs> you know yeah and
0: so yeah don't hang around me because they'll think you've been in jail
1: so so because she does prison ministry people thought she was a, a prisoner or had been in, in incarcerated at some point yeah guilt by association right all right, third question is this. What obstacles keep you from spending time with people that need Jesus? What are the obstacles that keep you from spending time with people who need Jesus? It can pull you out of your, your safe little comfort zone. So safety, wanting to feel safe and stay in the comfort zone, yeah? For sure. What else? you say that just a little louder? I don't have
0: the answers to the questions they may ask.
1: Yeah, we don't have all the answers. Guess what? I don't. None of us do. None of us have all the answers. But oftentimes someone's just looking for someone to care, hear their story. You have some answers. If you know Jesus, you got a lot of answers, but we don't have answers for everything in life. A lot of times it's a reflection. You see the darkness in them. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary. It's kind of like holding up a mirror. Yeah. I have a response to that also. Sometimes a person may
0: feel like they don't have their life together enough to be able to share with anybody else. Yeah. Or sometimes they may feel that what they have is not something that they want to share with.
1: I think the first part of what you said is very interesting. Someone feels like they don't have their life together enough to spend time with you. Can you imagine the Son of God sitting down with Jesus at a table, perfect, King of kings, holy, and people felt comfortable? And these were people who didn't have their lives together. And he made them feel comfortable and welcome. Like, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Jesus gave snapshots of the kingdom I don't know if you realize this, but every time Jesus did a miracle, he was revealing the kingdom. So when he cast out the demon, out of the demon possessed man, he's saying, In the kingdom, there's no more demon possession. When he healed somebody who was sick, he's saying, In the kingdom, there's no more blindness. There's no more disease. There's no more sickness. And when he wiped someone's tears away and comforted them, he's saying, In the kingdom, there's no more crying. He's pointing to the future, he's pointing to what's to come, and he's saying, Every time I do a miracle, I'm giving you a snapshot. I'm revealing a little bit more of the kingdom to you. It's so cool when you start to see it this way and as you read through the Gospels. And you think about his first miracle. Jesus went to a wedding, turned the water into wine, and he said, there's a marriage feast that's coming in the future. Jesus says, I'm I'm the groom. Church, you're the bride. And this is going to be a feast. This is going to be a time of joy and celebration and happiness. And we get to look forward to that. So every time Jesus did a miracle, he's revealing snapshots of the kingdom. And on a very small scale, when we do, when we open our table to somebody else and we create space, and we sit down and have a meal It's more than just a symbol. We're actually saying, hey, this is a preview of what's to come. This is what life is like in the kingdom. We get to share that with other people. So if you've been around Missio for a while, you probably heard us talk about open tables. And open table is just what it sounds like. It's a table that's open. And so um, we open our home, our space, wherever we're eating, to people who maybe aren't a part of our biological family, people who are leaning into relationship, just want to hang out with us. And so I want to give you some... um, Well, first of all, I want to talk about this summer. So we have shifted a little bit. We have missional communities. Our church, that's really the driver behind our discipleship is missional communities. And so uh, many of you know that we have missional communities. Some of you have shown interest. And if you're one of those people who said, I want to be in a missional community... We're, we're grateful for that, but, and you can be in one in August. So just hold tight, because what we're going to do over the next couple of months is we're going to focus on opening our tables to people around us. You guys know that North Dakota is weird in the summertime, right? Like it's like you flip a switch and people just, like, you get out of school and it's like, the rapture happened, everyone's gone. <laughs> they're, they're at the lake, you know, or whatever. Um, and so summers are different in North Dakota. And so rather than trying to fight that or push against it, we're going to redirect our energies from having our family dinner night, which is typically the, the focal point of the week for a missional community. We're going to say, we're going to give that time back to you. Why don't you open your table? Why don't you open your home to some people who don't know Jesus? What about your neighbors? How well do you know them? Do you know their stories? And so what we want to do is we want to focus on open tables rather than the family dinner night. So I'll give you just a, a brief explanation if you don't understand what a missional community is. It's similar to a small group but we don't want it to become just a one night of the week. The idea is that we have a family dinner night one night of the week. There's a meal, there's a study, there's a prayer oftentimes. But then that leads to the organic things like, hey, we're gonna go watch my kid play soccer or we're gonna go grab coffee over here or let's go out for dinner a couple, couple families or let's um, cut down some trees in my yard. I'm just saying that because Ryan came over and helped me cut down some trees. I really appreciate that. And so these are just the organic things that happen because we're living life together. So the point of a missional community is that we're a family of missionary servants following Jesus together, okay? So we have the family dinner night, but that's not all it is. And we don't wanna let it turn into that, just being a once a night or once a week night thing that we do. And so this is a way of saying, hey, we're gonna give you some time back, spend some time with people around your table, grab some people from your missional community if you're in one, grab some friends, some neighbors, whatever, and I want to give you some practical tips for doing an open table. So, uh, okay, we got them on the screen. The predictable pattern. The first thing is if you're going to open your home, if you want to have people over to your house, have a predictable pattern. Make it easy to remember. For us, it was Friday nights, Friday nights at six. And so we did it, did it every week. You could do it every other week, whatever works for you. Uh, But have it be a predictable pattern because it's a lot easier to remember if I run into someone on the street and I say, hey, why don't you come over to my place Friday night at 6? It's always Friday night at 6. Easy to remember. And my wife knows that and my kids know that and everybody knows that uh, unless you're going to cancel it. But have a predictable pattern makes it easier for everybody. Second one is let others bring something. Uh, You guys ever invited somebody over and they say, what can I bring? Oh, just yourself. Like, no, let them bring something. If you're having spaghetti and they want to bring bread or they want to bring a side salad, let them do that. They might bring some awesome dessert that you've never had before. So let them contribute. Let them participate in bringing something. Empower them to do that. And then the third one is keep it simple. Don't make it a big ordeal. It doesn't have to be a seven-course meal. Your house doesn't have to be spotless. You don't have to have everything, you know, just so. Keep it simple. The point is relationships. The point is to get to know people, to hear their story, to let them know you care about them, that you love them. We uh, often do pizza at ours just because it's easy, and so we'll go to Sam's and just stock up on ingredients for pizza, and then we just pizza every Friday night, and most people don't seem to mind that. Uh, But we know other people who have done just a two or three meal rotation, tacos, pizza, spaghetti, something like that. Make it easy on yourself so that you can focus on the relationships and not be preoccupied with the house. In the yard and all the other stuff that goes along with it. So it's not it's not hard to host an open table, and we really want to encourage you guys to do that. And um, what it comes down to, really though, is the heart. Is my heart open to people, or am I? Would I rather isolate? Would I rather be comfortable? And it's it's kind of a challenge. But you know, we see the example of Jesus, and he made time for people. I want to bring the Spide L's up here. Where are you guys at? Andy and Kara, are you in the room? All right in front of me, and many of you know Andy and Kara um, and I just wanted them to share they've they 've been with us since really the beginning of Missio and um, have really grown in your hospitality and they've done tons of events they've done some crazy stuff like they had a food truck and they did they've done bouncy houses, and those are obviously more event type things, um, but rather than getting into nuts and bolts of of the how, tell us about just the heart behind it and as you guys have practiced hospitality and connected with families in your neighborhood, invited people in your home, what's what has God taught you through that? How's your heart maybe been opened?
2: Um, I feel like when we first learned about open tables, I loved the idea, but was just caught up <clears throat> in the structure of it and how am I gonna make it work? And I have to, you know, figure out who we're gonna invite because we don't have the biggest place. And then, you know, he travels for work a lot. So making it consistent was just like I don't know if I can do this. And so, I don't know, sometime in the last year or two, I think our perspective has just shifted of like, how can we fit this in to our rhythm that we have? And so for me, I mean, I'm home with the kids, so it might be just me meeting moms during the day for a picnic in the park. And me um, just knowing (laughs) all of our neighbors now know, like if the fence is open, they're welcome to come over and have free popsicles and hang out with the kids. Um, another mom came over a couple weeks ago because she was, her husband was out of town, and you know, on day three or four, and she was like, I am tired. Can I come over and eat? And I'm like, yes, that's perfect. So I think just opening it up to people and knowing that you're available for those things are huge, or even our neighbors um, sit around and talk a lot, so just bringing a meal over and sitting and eating with them and getting to know them a little better and it's just been more of a perspective shift that way.
3: Yeah I agree with that and you know it's I mean when you get to share a meal with people and have them over oftentimes like conversation goes deeper you know you're able to kind of get past the surface and really just understand you know their story and oftentimes you know I feel like something comes out right and usually you're able to just kind of like lean into that more or remember that for next time as you can you know, um, just better understand like their hobbies or maybe even where they're at in you know in their season of life and be able to to lend a helping hand or just kind of speak into that area. And so I feel like you know oftentimes as well, we we can think of open tables in, yes, sharing a meal at your home, right? But then just like getting creative in different ways, maybe that's making space for taking people out for lunch, right, during a lunch break. I think uh, Michael Mart, he shared that, you know, just making space once a month, once a week to take somebody out for lunch at work. Um, Oftentimes, you know, for me, I I definitely traveling and eating out and stuff like that. It's kind of a heart posture of, like, when you do some of those things, like just being sensitive to the spirit and, like, how is God going to lead and guide that, you know, conversation. So, yeah, just getting creative. I mean, we've just kind of learned to – in in all aspects kind of go, okay, God, how do you want to use this time, you know, that we have with people?
1: Mm -hmm. I love that. And what you mentioned too about being creative, like we know people who have done a fire pit on their front driveway. They just pull it out on, you know, and they have people over and roast marshmallows or, uh, you know, Saturday morning brunch thing. And and so there's no limit. You you can just be creative. What, What works for you and what connects with the people in your circles? And I love how you said being on the road and just that heart posture of always kind of living on mission. That's awesome. So uh, one other question for you guys. And then, uh, so if there's somebody here today and they're saying, um, I don't know, I don't know if I buy into this whole open table idea, this whole like, you know, sharing meals with people, how would you encourage them? If somebody's kind of on the fence and maybe a little bit afraid or afraid to take a risk, how would you encourage them today?
3: I would just say that, I mean, you can start small with that. I mean, it can be, it can be anything, like I mentioned, like just deciding to take someone to lunch, um, to, you know, inviting them to church, you know, just a simple invitation to come to church and have brunch afterwards. Um, I mean, so the encouragement would be, you know, it's it's bigger than, you know, even just the, your desire to want to do it or not to do it, right? Like God, I think, honors and blesses just the boldness and taking that step of faith. And so it can be as simple as you want it to be, but I would say the encouragement would be just maybe do one thing different or step out in one area, whatever that looks like. You know, so that's that's my encouragement.
2: And I think too, like everyone really, at, the, at their heart, like wants community. And so, even if it doesn't go exactly like you had planned it, I don't know that I've ever been like, oh man I regret that I just had these people over, or I regret doing that. It's always been really good. Um, and so, at the heart of it, I mean, just community is huge.
1: Thank you. So, yeah, as we, as we think about this summer and just days to come, and if you want to talk more about Open Table, what that might look like in your context, we've got tons of resources. We've got people who've done this for quite a while who can share some tips and tricks. Um, but really comes down to a heart posture, doesn't it? It comes down to do I love people? Do I want to be around people? Am I, am I isolating? Am I living in self-righteousness and I don't want to be around those people? Or am I willing to live life in the kingdom the way Jesus did and to follow his example? Read through the Gospels and pay attention to how many times Jesus sat at a table. has got to know somebody and he met a need. And so I think the encouragement to us today is just to live life in the kingdom. This is the kingdom life that we get to live We're invited into it. And so I hope that at the end of this summer, we might find ourselves with some new faces, some new relationships, some people who maybe wanna be a part of a missional community at the end of the summer that weren't really interested before. And so the opportunity is there and and God is building his church. We're not in a hurry. Jesus knows what he's doing and we get to walk with him and to be in step with him. And so that's my encouragement today is to say, Think about it. Pray about it. Maybe partner with somebody else. Say, we're going to do an open table together. We're going to do this as a team. So again, love to chat with you about that. And the invitation for us is to live life as good news people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we get to live in this beautiful thing that you call the kingdom. Jesus, you came and you said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. And the invitation to all of us is to be a part of the kingdom, to live in it, to taste and see that the Lord is good, and to share that with others. And so, Lord, may we not grow comfortable, may we not grow inward focused to where we just want what we want, and we're only focused on our own so-called spiritual maturity or our growth or whatever that we think that is, that we realize that true spiritual maturity, true growth happens while we live on mission with you. As we reflect your values, we reflect your likeness to the world around us. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your example. And even though it was thousands of years ago in a different culture, in a different part of the the world, that, Lord, that principle of sitting at a table across from somebody else, sharing a meal is profound. And it's a picture of the kingdom. So we thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Forgive us when we become self-righteous, when we think we're better than others because we've got all our stuff together. Let us live with humility and love that people just enjoy being around us because we reflect so much of you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. Jesus's example. For Jesus, a meal was not just a meal, it was an opportunity for ministry. Meals are more than just food. They're social occasions. They represent friendship, community, and welcome. There are three ways we can see writers of the Gospel complete the same sentence. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Another says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The last one says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. The guest list. The Pharisees and scribes were focused on personal holiness above all else. Jesus misunderstood for the company he kept. Jesus was separated from sin, but never isolated from people. Snapshot of the kingdom. Josh gave us three tips for what we can do when we have an open table. A predictable pattern. Make it a regular event. Let others bring something. Others want to contribute, and you actually honor them by letting them add to the meal. Keep it simple. Don't make this a big ordeal. The goal is relationships. Discussion Questions Do you know any Christians who value personal holiness above all else? How do you feel about spending time with them? Do you have a reputation for hanging out with shady company for the purpose of showing them grace? What obstacles keep you from spending time with people that need Jesus? Thanks again for listening, Missio Family. We'll see you again next week.